0: Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Perfect. What do I do? <laughs> Father God, we are thankful for the opportunity that we have to worship here this morning. We thank you for uh, the time that we were able to worship last night and that your name was lifted up. And as I was driving here this morning, I was reminded of that when I was pulling into church that I was not followed or being watched or being here that I could be in trouble. But that's not the case for our fellow brothers and sisters around the world as they are followers of you and as live in places like Afghanistan where they're being persecuted. And so we think and and we keep them in prayer as they live each day, not knowing what that day may hold. Father, I pray that they would have their eyes fixed on you and not what's going on around them with what they see. We pray for protection for them. We pray that uh, you would just strengthen and be with the churches all throughout the country and that um, they would be um, encouraged knowing that this world is not our home and that their home is in heaven. And so we pray that you'd be just with them in a very special way. We also want to lift up and pray for tensions going on around the world. We think of what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, and it reminds me of scripture in Jeremiah where it says, above all else, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And as we see situations like this, we know that it comes out of sin. It comes out of man uh, thinking and doing things that go against your word, God. We know your word tells us that we are all image bearers of you. We all have equal value, that you created us, that you love us. So we just pray for peace and protection and that harm would not come. And so we commit that to you, Lord. And uh, we pray that as believers um, and that we would be committed to prayer, to be praying for um, people around the world that are going through situations that um, we do not have to face and that we would be thankful for um, the freedoms that we do have and what we're able to do. We also want to lift up and pray for what's going on here at Grace Community Church and want to lift up the needs. We know people are facing many different trials and things are going on in their life, and so we want to commit those to you. We want to pray for people that may be facing financial hardships, maybe in search of a job, maybe dealing with physical issues or spiritual issues. And so, God, we commit all those to you, that you would be a comfort, a peace for our people. I pray that as your body, the church, that we could come around people and be hands and feet to encourage and comfort And walk with people as they go through various seasons of life. And we're thankful that we have a church body, that you gift us all different and that you bring us together for not only community, but that we need to encourage one another and care for one another. And so we bring that before you, knowing that you are on the throne, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that you care about each and every person and each and every need. We pray for this morning as we worship, as Pastor Mike is going to come and bring your word. And I pray that for us, that our hearts and minds would be in tune with your spirit, that your spirit would be speaking to us, and that we would um, be open and receptive uh, to your word and what the spirit wants to do in each one of our lives, whether that's growing us, whether that is realizing that we need Jesus. Jesus in our lives, and we need to make that personal decision to know and follow your son, Jesus. And so I just pray that uh, this morning as we go through, that your will would be accomplished, that you would get all the glory, and um, from that, uh, we would be the church that you want us to be. And so with us, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture reading for this weekend is found in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, cannot be my disciple.
1: Thank you very much, Pastor Jerry. He well,
0: you a question this morning? Have you ever exaggerated
1: a point to make a point? a point? Did you ever do that in your life? You've exaggerated a point to make a point. Chances are, most, if not all of us, have done that in our lives. I slept like a rock. Well, who knows how a rock sleeps, you know? How do we know that? These shoes are killing me. I have a million things to do. She makes enough food to feed an army. I'll believe that when pigs fly. Now, how many of you have seen pigs fly? I mean, honestly, yeah, oh, come on. I know you raise pigs, but give me a little leeway here. You never saw a pig fly, Laurel, did you? I mean, like take off, okay, there we go. This kind of speech has a name. It's called hyperbole. By definition, a hyperbole is an exaggerated statement or claim that is not to be taken literally, nor are hyperboles meant to deceive anybody. In fact, a hyperbole is actually a figure of speech, and it's designed to get people's attention and to make a point. So last weekend, when we were watching our grandchildren from Thursday until, well, it seemed like Thursday, I think it was from Friday till Monday, On Sunday afternoon, they weren't listening to me when I was asking them not to do something. And so I said, boys, there will never again be candy in the candy drawer if you don't listen to Papa, ever. Gray looked at Cam and said, he's kidding. (laughs) I couldn't keep a straight face because I was. I mean, you think I'm gonna empty my candy drawer out? Of course not, you know. Jesus is the master at hyperbole, and well, he should be. Did you ever think about this? As God, he is the author of our language. Every figure of speech that we use in our language, he created it, and we have it as a gift from him. It's an amazing fact, and it's also true when you think about the scriptures, More than once, Jesus exaggerated points to make a point. Think about this with me. To warn men against the danger of lust, he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. To point out the hypocrisy of judging others' sin when you have your own sin, Jesus asked the question, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in their eye and don't take out the log from your own eye? To make the case, that a little faith can make a big difference in your life. Jesus is the one who said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Jesus' hyperboles, unlike our own hyperboles, however, were always perfect, always perfect. They were always perfectly stated, and they were always perfect for the occasion, which is what brings us now to Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, and in particular, to verse 26 where jesus uses a hyperbole to make a point if anyone comes to me and does not hate does not hate his father and mother his wife and children his brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciples let's read that together if anyone comes to me and does not Hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Did Jesus really say that? That we should hate the nearest and dearest in our lives? Is this hate speech? Isn't Jesus the one who gave us the command to love one another and and, and to love one another just as, as he loves all of us? And isn't Jesus the very creator of family? Jesus actually reiterated the fifth commandment to honor our parents. Jesus is the one who said in Matthew chapter 19, verse six, that what God has joined together in marriage, let man not separate. And if we believe that scripture is inspired, and we do believe that, don't we? Amen. Well, then we have to believe that what Jesus says here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, is also inspired of God. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So then, what in the world is Jesus talking about? In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate Hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Here's what I believe Jesus is saying to us. In this verse, Jesus is masterfully using hyperbole to teach us what it means to put him first in our lives. And to love and follow him above anyone and anything else in our lives. Jesus must be first. Say that with me. Jesus must be first. Now, how do we know that? How can we be sure that that's true? Well, let me just teach you a couple uh, of good lessons about good Bible study. When you study the scriptures, you cannot proof text text the Word of God. You can't search the Bible and find a verse that you like and then build an entire belief system on your favorite verse. Nor should you read a verse in the Bible and get alarmed by it or be confused by it without looking at its context. And so the context of Luke chapter 14, verse 26 is, first of all, the chapter And Luke chapter 14 is actually a chapter all about what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, the first 24 verses of Luke 14 is an invitation to follow Jesus. And then verses 25 through 35 describes the cost of following Jesus. What I want you to notice is that in verse 25, the word of God says that large crowds were traveling with Jesus. As with any large crowd gathered around Jesus think then and now, even in churches today, some of that crowd included people who were actually sincere disciples. They wanted to know what it was to follow Jesus. But there were also in that crowd, people who were spectators. They were the fans of Jesus. You know what they were there for? The show, not the savior. The excitement, do you think today he might do a miracle? I heard he heals people and and gives them their sight. Do you think if we follow him long enough today, we might see that happen? There are people there for the show and there are people there for the Savior. Isn't it interesting that as Jesus turns to this large crowd, he begins to explain the cost of what it is to follow him. Jesus is always honest. Jesus wants the spectators and the disciples, the fans and the followers, to understand the true cost of following him. He doesn't sugarcoat a thing in the word of God. In fact, his words are crystal clear. And they begin with this simple truth expressed in a shocking way, to make the point that to follow him is to make him the first in your heart and your life. No other relationship can or should be first. Hear me when I say this. There is no other king of your heart than Jesus Christ. No other king of your, you know why that is? Because he made you. He made you. He knows you better than anyone could possibly know you. He loves you unreservedly and unconditionally. He went to the cross and he died in your place, giving his life for you. He rose again on the third day. He lives today. There is no one who loves you like Jesus. Can you say amen to that? No one who loves you like him. And because of that, there should be no other relationship in your life That is more important than your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that includes even your closest relationships on this earth. Your mother and your father, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters. If you want to follow Jesus, then you must put Jesus before them. Now, that's the context of Luke chapter 14, but there's a larger context for This verse and the larger context is the entire Bible itself here's another helpful principle for your Bible study when you're reading and studying scripture and you come upon a verse of scripture that is really confusing and there are verses that are confusing you know it's helpful if you look at the rest of the Bible and do a search and you could do that pretty easily if you have a smartphone just look up some words and find out whether this truth is mentioned anywhere else And so as I'm reading Luke chapter 14, verse 26, and frankly, I was always like, I I knew what it meant, but I was like, whoa, Jesus. Hate? You know, I'm to hate Jenny. I'm to hate Katie and Carolyn and Amanda and Lydia. And so you do a search, and you look up fathers and mothers and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and you begin to read through scriptures, and I listed them all on an eight and a half by 11. I was reading all of them. And you come upon a portion of God's word in Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus says the exact same thing, but in a different way. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now remember, Jesus never contradicts himself. Absolutely never. And in Luke chapter 14, he chooses to exaggerate a point to make a point. You know why you do that? Because you wanna catch people's attention. You wanna make sure they're all ears. That's what I was doing at home last Sunday. I wanted to catch the attention of my grandsons. I wanted to make sure they were all ears and heard what I had to say. Jesus with the large crowd, he's like, making sure they hear what he is about to say he exaggerates a point to make a point but in matthew chapter 10 verse 37 he says it with great clarity what is that point if you decide to follow jesus you must love him more than anyone else in life including your family got that Say that with me. If you decide to follow Jesus, you must love him more than anyone else in life, including your family. Jesus must be first. Our families and everything and everyone else must be a distant second. If you were here last week, you know I preached on on the subject of what it means to take up our cross. And to take up our cross literally means to deny ourselves and what we want in life and make Jesus first in our lives, giving him control of everything and everyone in our lives, including our family. We are living life by giving him control of our families. Or are we? Now, I understand that this can be a hard teaching to swallow. And one of the principles of preparing a sermon is that really at some point in your sermon preparation as a preacher, you ought to sit back on your chair, lay down your pen, close your eyes and envision your congregation because you're not given an after dinner speech. You're declaring the word of the Lord in the power of the Spirit of God. But you're not doing it in a vacuum. You're doing it in a congregation of people that you know and love and pray for. And so when you prepare a message, At least when I do, I sit back, I close my eyes, I envision my congregation. I know where I'm at. I'm in Willow Street, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And I know what that means. Family is important. We cherish our families, amen? We cherish family values. Man, in Lancaster County, when you meet someone for the first time and they have a name that is vaguely familiar as a Lancaster County name, you do your best to figure out whether you know their aunt, their uncle, their grandma, their grandpa, their great grandma, their great grandpa, whether they are descended from Hans Her and can lay claim to the house on Hans Her Drive. You do everything you can to find out who they are, whether they're in the Fisher book, therefore out of an Amish background, or whether they're a Sigmund, and that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, until you say, well, my great grandfather was a Sigmund until he had an argument and changed our life. Oh, are you from Sigmund's Mill? Yes that's who we are we love family and so because we love family we wonder sometimes when we read a passage like this Jesus is it possible that we could love you and our families equally I mean do we really have to love our families less than you Couldn't we love them equally with you? And Jesus says, no. I must be first. Now let me tell you some of the reasons I think he said that. Reason number one, your family could become an idol. Your family could become an idol to you. Truth is anyone or anything can become an idol when it takes first place in our lives and it controls our lives, our family or family members can become idols to us. Here's how family becomes an idol. It happens when life for you or me becomes all about our family. Life is about my kids. Life is about my spouse. The decisions I make in life are made based on solely my family so when my family what my family says or what my family believes becomes the authority now listen to this what my family says or what my family believes becomes the authority by which I make decisions in life and by which I chart the course of my life what will my family think what does my family want me to do with my life will my family approve? And we ask those questions sometimes long before we ever ask, what does Jesus want? What would he approve? And sometimes we ask them completely devoid of even asking Jesus. And let me tell you something. When your family becomes an idol, the outcome for your life and their life will never be good. And let me just kind of drill down on that. So you understand why that's true. Sometimes family can become a stumbling block to salvation. Now, you may, re- you may never have seen that, but-, but I saw that, and especially as we were planning a church in Baltimore, I can't tell you how many times Jenny and I shared the gospel with individuals who would, you know, they come to church, they'd-, they'd visit on a holiday, or they might visit at the invitation of a friend, and-, and God would move that Sunday morning through the music and through the message and and in that church we would invite people to an altar rail and and people would come and they would pray and and this happened a number of times for Jenny and me where we would we would kneel down and we would pray with people in that in that church in Baltimore that small church in Baltimore and then we'd say now listen this week we'll come and we'll talk to you about what you are seeking right now about Jesus Christ And and we go into homes and I remember one in particular, a young woman, we sat at her dining room table and we shared the gospel. And I remember, I'll I'll always remember that she looked at us and she said, I I, I need to be very careful here because my dad will kill me. He will kill me if I become one of you. I said, "Oh, who is one of you? He said, don't you get involved with that born again stuff. Religion's okay, but keep it at arm's length. I remember an occasion where we had opportunity to minister to a senior high girl, and she would come to youth group and come to youth group and come to youth group, and then she didn't show up, and then she didn't show up, and then she didn't show up. And finally, not answering the phone, I went to their home, knocked on the door, and I'd say, hey, we were missing Sophia, and her parents said, we are witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses. And our daughter will not set foot inside that church again. Now listen, it can happen. Where family becomes a stumbling block to salvation. Where the faith of Jesus Christ doesn't fit the narrative of our family. And you just stay away from them. They'll make you radical. They'll make you radical. Now listen, that also happens in Christian families. It can happen where following family takes priority over following Jesus. In other words, your family's word is more important than Jesus's word. Two times in my ministry, I've encountered this in Christian families, where the narrative of dad or grandpa took greater priority than the word of God. We take care of our own. America is first. Your family is first. Don't get wrapped up in a church that believes in missions because all they'll do is they'll take your money and send it overseas and let them support themselves. Yeah, twice. It's like, whoa, where is that in the word of God? It's not there, is it? But what happens is, and it can happen in so many different ways, The word of a much revered family member can actually take authority over the word of God. Because we love grandpa so much, we just can't believe that what he he would tell us isn't the truth according to the word of God. But listen, you gotta measure everything someone says according to the word even if the person who says it is someone you love dearly, they do not take precedent over God and his word. Let me say this to you. You never want to displease God in order to please somebody on this earth. You want to always put Jesus first. Now listen, your family could become an idol I'm not suggesting that has happened to you, but I want to say this to you secondly. Jesus is your Lord. How do you prevent your family from becoming an idol? You remember who your Lord is. If you are a Christian, Jesus must have first place in your life and Jesus must be the first love of your life. What I say next is very important. His word and his will is the authority by which I make decisions and live life, and for some very good reasons. His word and his will should be the authority by which you live life if you're a Christian, and for some very good reasons. Reason number one, because he is always right. He is always right. And, and, and I, I don't discount your family, and I don't discount mine, but there is not a member of my family who is always right. Amen. Got that. You can say amen to my family. I don't care if you, you know, amen. That's right. Okay. So, so Jenny will say to me once in a while, dear, I know you're always right about, and then she'll fill in the blank, but this time you're not right. And you know what? She's absolutely right. Funny thing about our home is Jenny's always right about things in the future. I'm usually right about things in the past. So if we met somebody in a grocery store 35 years ago, I'll remember details of that meeting. And she'll say, I don't even wanna suggest that you're wrong about that. But if she has a hunch and a sense about something in the future, I listen to her closely. But here's the reality. We recognize that neither one of us are always right. There is only one who is always right. His name is Jesus. Secondly, the reason you put Jesus first is he's always there. He's always there. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never be apart from you. But you can't say that about your family. Some of your family will not be there for you. Some will die. Some will move. Some will not answer the phone when you call. Some will not text you back for four days. Some will not be awake at two in the morning when you need them the most. But there is one who will always be there and who is always accessible. And his name is Jesus. Let me say one more thing, and hear me when I say this. Jesus will never disappoint you. He will never disappoint you. I say to my girls, and I've said to them growing up, don't you ever put your hope in me. Don't put your hope in Mike Sigmund. Don't put your hope in dad, because dad is human. My feet are, according to the scripture, clay. That means that they could break, they could shatter. I walk in this world. Don't put your hope in me, put your hope in Jesus, because he will never, ever, 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 ever this is not hyperbole, this is truth, ever, 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 ever ever disappoint you, Amen? amen? Never will he disappoint. And what that means is that the word and the will of God takes priority over the word and the will of my family. And when those two wills conflict, when they clash, you always follow the will and the word of Jesus Christ. Even as I wrote this, I know how hard it is to live this out. I wanna share a story that I've not shared publicly, but I've, I've wrestled with the Lord about sharing this today. And I believe that I I can share it with his permission to do so to help you understand how this works out, but also to help you understand that I've actually lived this thing. So some of you know this and some of you knew him very, very well. I grew up as an only child of Ken and Flo Sigmund and an only grandchild of Lesson Todd Sigmund. And I was the apple of my grandfather's eye And if I had a close relationship in life, if someone mentored me in life, it was my grandfather. Closer than even the relationship with my father. I hung out with my grandfather. I went to work with my grandfather. He invested deeply in my life. I highly regarded my grandfather. What my grandfather said, as far as I was concerned, was inspired. And I listened to him and I followed his counsel. And so when God called me to ministry, I was pursuing a career in banking, because I had, like my grandfather, an interest in finance and business. And I was a student at Franklin and Marshall in an the International Business program, and my future was mapped out for me by myself and my grandfather. And so when God called me to ministry and I finally yielded and said, okay, I'll go, I'll do what you want me to do, September of 1980, I went and I sat down with my parents and my parents were enthusiastic and they embraced it immediately and fully. We want you to do what God wants you to do. That's what I'm talking about today, folks. That's what I'm talking about, being on the same page with Jesus with your family. When your kids come to you and they say, we want to make Jesus first, you say to them, praise the Lord. That's what I've been praying for. When I went to my grandparents and I told them that I was going to go into ministry, my grandmother began to cry and she said, that's that's wonderful. I praise the Lord for that. My grandfather, with a stern look in his face, said to me, I'm not happy about that at all. I'm not happy about that at all. My grandfather was a man who knew the Lord Jesus Christ and he was a faithful churchgoer. But he had in mind in this occasion, the things of man, not the things of God. He loved me so dearly. He envisioned for me a life of security and of comfort. And if I just be very honest, He wanted me to do well, make money, be comfortable, be successful. That was his vision for me. That was the plan. It was mapped out. I would fulfill his wishes. He looked at me and he said, I'm not happy with this. I don't agree with it. I want you to continue at Franklin and Marshall. I want you to complete that program. You go into international banking. And once you get established, once everything is in a good place, then if you want to become a local preacher and you want to do some things in the church, you go ahead, but you do this first. Friends, I want to tell you something. In that moment, I so highly regarded and so loved my grandfather that there was a part of me that actually began to question the call of God of my life. The issue was, who am I gonna love first? Who is gonna be the Lord of my life? Who will command my greatest attention? I left their house in Millersville that day and I was conflicted. I wasn't sure what I should or shouldn't do, but the Holy Spirit of God works in marvelous ways. And my grandmother, saint, she was a saint became the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit that night, apparently, I don't know what was said. But that night, they had a true come to Jesus meeting with Jesus. (laughs) And she spoke to him and the next day I went to their home because I was still conflicted and he looked at me and he said, Mike, will you please forgive me? Because I allowed my own will to take the place of God's will. And I would never want anything for you other than the very best. And the very best is what God wants for you. He is yours. You are his. I know that. And you follow him and do what he wants you to do. That's what I'm talking about. Making Jesus first so that you can release your children, your grandchildren, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, your father and mother, to do the things that God wants them to do so that you're all in the will and walking in the way of God. And here's what I've learned to be true, and I'll take it to the bank. How's that for a former banker? Here's what I know to be true, that if you will love Jesus most, you will love your family more, more than you could ever imagine possible. If you will put Jesus first, if you will love them, love him most, your family will never be neglected, never be negatively impacted by the faith. But your family will someday stand up and they will call you blessed because you made Jesus First, the priority in your life, and they never suffered a deficit because of it. They were loved more. They were loved more because you loved Jesus most. I am never a better husband or father or grandfather. I have no brothers and sisters. I was never a better husband or father or grandfather or son than when I love Jesus most and put him first and so today I've got to ask you two questions and the first is simply this what will you do with Jesus what will you do with him Is he the Savior and Lord of your life? Because listen, if you're here or you're online and and you're one of those people that you've been kind of holding Jesus at arm's length because you're afraid of what they will say, do not displease the God of the universe to please somebody on this earth. You need to please him first. Come to know him. Trust him as Savior and Lord. But if you're here today as a Christian, is he first? First? Even over your much beloved family. I love my family. I love them. But I do not love them more than I love Jesus. And some of them will be in the next service, and I will say that, and they will sit here and they will understand that because it's what I want them to say of me. I love Dad but not more than Jesus. And that's what my desire is. What will you do with Jesus? Let me ask you a second question. What will you do with your family? Is Jesus the priority in your family? Then that raises another question. He will be if Jesus is the priority in your life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you. I thank you, I just had to thank you for, I don't think I ever thanked you for this, for that night when grandma talked to grandpa, for the way in which you used that conversation to speak truth to him. Lord, I wonder how many other folks need to hear your spirit speak to them in very clear, audible ways to bring conviction that too often we live with regard to the things of men rather than the things of God as our priority. My prayer today very simply is that every person here and online would put you first, Jesus. Love you more than any other long for and desire you above every other, make you first even above their family. And secondly, Lord, I pray that you would help every, I wanna pray very specifically, Jesus, right now, for every young family in this room and online. As they begin their lives raising their children, Father, teach them now to release their children fully and completely into your hands. And desire for them above everything else that you would be first in their lives. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: Well, thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times and location, check out our website at gccws.net.